Welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we like to talk about the things that are weighing on our minds. I'm Michael, I'm a chaser, and today I am a lazy vacation boy because we're on hiatus. Um, that's right. <laughs> this is uh, this is one of our sort of interim mini episodes, and recording with me today is... Hi, I am Don Marshall. I am one of the co-hosts of the Big Fat Gay Podcast. I am a <clears throat> big fat guy living in Hollywood. Um, and I am just generally lazy today. <laughs> I'm, I'm currently digesting four golden Oreo cookies. Oh, and I feel yeah. very good about this. I have. So I've never tried them before, but on my uh, mantle right now, I actually have a freshly unopened package of lemon Oreos, which I've never had. And which been recommended. you think are there, but I actually snuck into your house several minutes ago <gasps> and took them as my own. You monster. Because they're delicious. Well, at the very least, you can eat them in front of me so I can see your enjoyment. That's fair. Anyway, we are babbling away. It's like, we've, it's like we're not friends and we don't get to talk all the time. <laughs> um, not like we're doing anything else in this quarantine. Um, but we actually had an episode that we want to do today. Uh, Dan and Trevor are both recording um, things that they've written because they're, of course, uh, more present in the world of Chubs and Chasers than we are. Um, although maybe that's changing. Who knows? We'll find out in a year. <laughs> um, however, we have not done anything like that. Trevor's written an article from the New York Times. Dan's written an entire book. Uh, but we thought it would be cool because we are the lesser known of the four hosts uh, to do like a deep dive on uh, some of the issues in our lives that have come up on the show that we've alluded to, but maybe we haven't told the full story or maybe there's a little more there. Um, and we thought it could be kind of fun to tackle like, I mean, everybody loves sex talk, so... Oh, like dear. things in the world of like sexual development and first times and uh, stuff like that. So I've got a handful of questions that Don doesn't know I've written down and uh, we're just going to have a little conversation and we'll make this a two parter, um, nice, light and fun, shorter episodes. And, uh, you know, we'll just take it from there. Nice little hiatus bite sized thing. Uh, I agree to this because I feel like if I'm terrified of it, I should probably do it. So wildly <laughs> uncomfortable, I, but let's do this. <laughs> I agreed to this because um, I didn't really think it through. And now I'm sitting here. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that, that sounds like a great idea for an episode. Ooh, ooh, so, ooh. Michael, what's your favorite position? No, let's no, let's not, let's not do that. No, <laughs> no we're yeah. not going to do that. May, <laughs> maybe. You know what? Write us in and let us know if you want. Nope. Nope, I take it back. Let us know what you think Michael's favorite position is. <laughs> Future Michael, feel free to cut that. That's, uh, that's, that's bad podcasting. No, I think the reason that this was um, fun, I think just from a more omniscient point of view, from like the pro show producer point of view that I have is that Don and I are of the four of us easily the most reserved, um, especially when it comes to like sex talk or you know, experiences. I mean, and stuff I'm not like that. a prude, or at least <laughs> I didn't think I was a prude until I heard it started hanging out with people that are definitely not prudes. Right. Um, and yeah. I, in fairness, I think Trevor and Dan, like they set a standard for just like comfortability and self-assurance when it comes to sex. So I don't know. I feel like the, we're somewhere in the middle. A standard but... that I admittedly aspire to. Like, I, I can't wait till I have that sort of casual off the cuff discussing of my sex life the way they do. Sure, yeah. sure. And, and you know, I think it also makes you and, and and me, because I'm very much similar, kind of it's a part of who we are. Like, I think there is. Yeah. For me, when I'm when I'm sort of, say I'm on a date with somebody, it, I think there is something kind of charming to having that kind of, um, I don't know, that, that like giggling, like teehee, like he said something naughty kind of thing, like instead of like, I don't know, 
it's almost like the more comfortable you are, you can you can slip into like a blase thing or like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We fist each other all the time. What's up with that? And it's like, whoa, whoa. Like if that if that just popped up in conversation, I would take I would need a second to like reorient my brain. Um, but maybe that's not <laughs> such a big deal. Yeah. Or like when I asked you what your favorite sexual position was and you actually turned beat red right in front of me right there. <laughs> it's my shirt. I'm wearing a red shirt. No, you were you were more red than your shirt. It was very impressive. <laughs> very impressive. All right. Well, <laughs> well, I have one of the things I just wanted to mention is I think this is a sort of a worthy conversation to have, not just for Chubs and Chasers, but for our other listeners, because sort of discussing the sexuality of fat guys and guys who like fat guys is actually a different experience than talking with your standard run of the mill gay guy. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. We have different introductions to the world of sex as we've Very touched on different. a couple times in the show. So one of the things we wanted to talk about was sort of like how as adult men, we've started developing our sexuality and uh, becoming sexual beings it's sort of at a later point than a lot of other people do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there yeah. certainly for me, it took a long time to even like, I think there was, there was something that I needed before I could even get to the point of like thinking about sex. I think there was like a piece that I was looking for when I was a teenager that, that preceded sex. It was like wanting to feel like comforted and taken care of and loved. And, um, that really slowed down the, the, those steps towards like, oh yeah, that guy's hot and I want to kiss him. You know, like Mm -hmm. that took me a long time to get to. In fact, I mean, really, you know, there's there's a few years that I tend to skip over in conversations like this towards my late teens. But really, I moved to L.A. right after I turned 21. And it wasn't until then that I actually got like what I would consider. I think most people consider to be like the teenage experience of yeah. just sort of experimenting with people and, you know, seeing like what comes up when you get to go on a casual date or meet somebody. You know, I didn't meet people at clubs, but I think it's, I got as about as close to that as I ever might have, um, <laughs> given our culture and how niche, like, I guess there are, uh, chub and chaser bear clubs out in LA, probably mm-hmm. more so than most places, but I didn't go to those clubs for some reason. I ended up in West Hollywood, which is like boys town. It's like all the, the hot young things. Um, I think you and, and I, I had feel- similar experiences that way. Like my friends, I had no friends in the chub and chaser community, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, most of the chasers that I ended up hooking up with really weren't interested in any kind of friendship um, mm. or bond. So my gay friends were very mainstream and the clubs I was introduced to were very mainstream clubs, which ended up turning me off of clubs pretty hardcore yeah. because one, you know, like it might be fun to go dance for a little while, but there comes a point where everybody's pairing off and going home and, <laughs> you know, I am. I am nobody's flavor of ice cream at that club that night. So, you know, that's what often right. what it feels like. So, yeah, I, I totally get that because on the, on the flip side, I'm standing there like feeling, I think I certainly enjoyed um, being sort of a young guy in West Hollywood for, for a period of time. But there was also this really kind of icky, you know, making my skin crawl feeling of like everyone here, uh, sees me as one of the go-go dancers not that there's anything wrong with go-go dancing but that is the default state uh that i am in that i am put in yeah um what regardless of what's going on or what i'm doing or what i'm wearing i Mm -hmm. am eye candy uh for everybody walking around and it that also in a different way put me off that experience uh because i wasn't 
I, I think for two reasons. One, I wasn't interested in any of the people who were kind of making like really strong approaches to me. Um, but also I wasn't ready for that. I, th- like I said, there were steps that I needed to kind of take before I could even get to the point of like casual flirting out in the open. Like there, th- that's kind of, we talk about the chaser coming out of the closet a second time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of it. Like w- how much are you going to do out in the open, you know, in a club? Would I actually walk up to somebody who looks like you and hit on them? Would I be, you know, would I be brave enough in quotes, like not that you should have to be to do that? And mm-hmm. certainly at the time, like not even close. So what do you, do you think there was a specific event that helped you start to change? And to be very clear to our listeners, I, I neither Michael nor I are holding up our sexual journeys as the way you should be. <laughs> if no. what Ma- Michael was describing as his point a, as being sort of the innocent and like <laughs> holding hands, being an adventurous part of sex for you, that is okay. And that is beautiful, just as long as that's who you want to be. Hmm. If you are that person and you want to be the guy going off to orgies, that's a problem, you know, because <laughs> you're not owning what you want, right? Right. And right. so that's what we're talking about, sort of striving to become the sexual beings that we want to be. Yeah. So, Michael, you were in that position and you were feeling unhappy with sort of your your inability to advance or the way people were approaching you. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there was a specific changing point or was it something you had to... It was a really slow development, I have to say. Like, it was a really gradual development over years and years. Basically, every different life experience I've had over the last nine years living in LA has slowly and surely contributed to growing as a person, which I feel like is what happens when you're, you know, a teenager. Like, you know, 13 through 22, like those developmental years, those 10, nine or 10 years that people spend in high school and college, where you slowly grow and change and get you know, more fully fleshed out as a person that happened for me, but it was about 10 years later. Um, But I will say probably the, you know, I did eventually uh, learn to be kind of an out and proud chaser, not through any great, you know, uh, psychological developments on my end, but because as I like to say, I never really came out of the closet. I got pulled out of the closet um, Mm -hmm. when I was a kid. So I've kind of always been out by default, which means that I've, I actually haven't really known what it's like to be closeted. So when I'm dating somebody, I don't, it, it actually has never occurred to me to try and keep that secret because that was just never an option to begin with, hmm. um, which is kind of a backwards way to go into it. But the flip side of that is I never actually dealt with some of those issues that we talked about on the show of like, you know, being, um, you know, like internalized um, fat phobia, uh, being ashamed of somebody that you're dating with. I didn't necessarily have those feelings all the time, but they they would pop up. And when they did, it was surprising because they, you know, it was not something I'd ever had to address before. And can you give doing, an example of something like that? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, a really just right off the bat, like say you go to dinner with your date. Um, it totally depends on who they are, uh, whether or not they're comfortable in their own skin and aware of their own body, um, how they're going to move through the world. And because I'm a very, I tend to be very in tune with the people I'm around, especially the people I care about. If somebody's having a hard time, I, I take that on myself. And so, for instance, uh, here's a classic example: like nobody mentions that you know we need a table, not a booth. Um, what happens when? your date can't fit in the booth. Is it, you know, is it a huge deal because they're like horribly embarrassed and 
and it's it's this thing that hangs over everyone's head or um is it like oh you know i, I actually this isn't going to work for me let's find a table and it's is it casually dismissed um for me the issue that came up was that i would start anticipating and i would start getting really really tense and really oh. um anxious like what's going to happen expecting an anxiety point over it exactly oh interesting and that's where i think some of those issues where like i i wasn't fully developed on my end to be able to like not be focused on everybody watching us for instance and not have that like self shame and embarrassment on behalf of somebody else um and and really it's been doing the show that has really helped me break through that barrier because I that ha, this has been my coming out as a chaser. I mean, people have known the guys who I've dated certainly for for you know almost ten years now, but that's not really enough. Like you, I think announcing it, coming out, as we've talked about on the show, like Dan has said this, like actually making that declaration, yeah, is a step unto itself. Well, and there may be an additional factor to living in Hollywood, where when mm. people when people see a like let's say two body types, for example, or two age groups or that sort of thing, they tend to make assumptions about the relationship being a sugar daddy relationship as opposed to, no, that's my type, you know? Right, yeah, yeah. Um, that, have you ever sat in a car and had the uh, cab driver ask you, um, I don't even remember how he phrased it. it. It seemed so weird at the time, like he would jump to this conclusion, but he was like, um, oh, you know, oh, so are you guys father and son? And- it, it was totally out of the blue. It was totally like, wait, what? Why? And so is this that like. <laughs> I kind of people... hope you just started making out right there as soon as he asked that question. <laughs> I yeah. would. No, it, it was such a, it was just such a shocking moment because who says that? Who just, who just comes out with like a random question about your relationship? And so like that assumption is always being made whether you hear about it or not. And I've it's, known it's up to a couple you. straight couples in. Uh, with age dis- age differences in their group, and they've been asked the whole like father daughter thing in mm-hmm. the past. Yeah, it's yeah, mm, yep. So I'm curious did uh, did you have that same experience as far as like being like five or ten years behind developmentally? Like, how long did it take you to start coming into your own sexually? Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, it's it, for me. It's uh, like I had sex for the first time when I was like. 15 years old, 16 years old. Okay. You got me beat. Uh, well, I, I'm not saying that to brag, uh, cause it was very sort of anonymous and, you know, uh, hook mm. And it's so like I was sexually active, but not actively exploring my sexuality. It was mm. sort of like grabbing what sexual moments I could. Right. Yeah. Um, and, that did set me back because that's not that's not who I am, right? It's not the person I want to be. Uh, it's not the person that I'm sort of wired to be inside. But mm-hmm. partially because of the way I was treated for my size most of my life, nobody seemed to see me as a sexual being. So I I am I am a, one of those people that I, I think as opposed to Dan on the show who believes in sort of like strong inner strength and carrying on and. You may mm-hmm. not phrase it that way, and I don't mean to put words into his mouth, but I, I am sort of the opposite of that, where I think, yes, that is there, but it's very hard to maintain your own self-esteem and self-image when the rest of the world won't agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I don't think I actually began sort of a journey of sexuality until 
my mid twenties when the first time I started meeting guys who were interested in me both physically and socially, emotionally, and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Up until that point, it was, I think I, in, in my early twenties, I hooked up with more straight guys, straight guys, than, <laughs> uh, than I did gay guys. And certainly none of them ever identified as a chaser. I think they just sort of identified as, you know, any port in a storm is what, what I think they portrayed themselves as. That is, so that is fascinating to me because I have never had, and I don't know that I ever will, and it had an experience like that where it was somebody who ostensibly was straight and or not in my world who sort of found a way to make a moment like that. Like, how does that happen? How does that unfold? And then like, I think more importantly, like, what does that do to you? Like, oh, knowing it's screwed that that person in my head big time. Yeah. Um. So there was a guy that I hooked up with in New York and I was his first gay experience. Right. Mm. And he really enjoyed it. Right. And he kept calling me back and sort of asking, you know, to, to meet up again, spend a little time together and all that sort of thing. But uh, after, you know, we were casual friends. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, but after maybe a year of that or two years of that, then he's, and as far as I knew at that point, he was closeted. Uh, he starts talking about being romantically connected to this other guy. Right. Um, at which point, like I wanted to have a conversation of like, well, so what's going on between us? Like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, at which point he said, well, like, you know, I've never really been that attracted to you. Um, and, you know, and, and that sort of thing, even though <laughs> he kept reaching out and actually continued to reach out up until sort of the current day, you know, um, Wow. Yeah, it's it, and but so it's like your body is telling me you're interested. Your actions are telling me you're interested, but you with your words are saying you're not. Right? <sighs> and that's something that I dealt with a lot, you know, through uh through actions or direct words like he used, uh which yeah, it set me back a lot because it conditioned me to think that like sexuality beyond beyond a moment of sex that a romance, that a continued sexual connection was not something built for people like me, right? So damaging, yes. Yeah. Um, so probably not until my late 20s did I actually start becoming aware of, you know, a, an actual extended chub chaser community, right? Right. And even there, it was hard to sort of find a way into it. Right. The first because, again, because of the way I've been treated and interacted with over the years, I have a certain image of myself. Right. And then the first time I walked into one of those events, it was in New York. I think it was in Westchester, uh, mid 90s, late 90s, something like that. Hmm. I walked into the dance, the dance hall and I see all these guys dancing like skinny guys, fat guys and there's a level of energy and happiness in the room that was really appealing and really fun and pleasant to look at. And then, but like within 10 minutes, some guy walked up to me, uh, smiled at me and then grabbed me by the crotch. Whoa. Um, like right by the dance floor. Uh, and I wasn't ready for that. Like that's, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it kind of panicked me and put me off those events for a little while because understandable. I didn't 
I didn't know how to wrap my brain around it. Right. Nor should you have to um, like, that's, th- that's not okay. Like the fact that he thought that that was, was okay is a little fucked up. But again, keep in mind this, you know, the life that I lived up to that point kind of made it sound like, well, okay, so that's what this is. That's what going to a room where people actually find you attractive. That's the way you'll be treated. So that messed with my head. It set me back. And it wasn't until I started meeting a few more people that were actually uh, sought friendship in addition to physical connections that I started to realize maybe some of my ideas about myself are wrong maybe about the you know the ways that i've hard hard coded in my head the ways that people see me are wrong um right which for someone like me you know i i pride myself on my ability to read people i am i am a strong people person i get motives and i i read them quickly and to be able to admit that some of the fundamental foundations of my self-image were built on not only sand, but freaking quicksand. Um, yeah, it took some time. So that's going to wrap up part one of my talk with Don uh, about our sort of sexual histories and the things that developed and didn't develop over our uh, first few formative years. We'll be back with part two next week. And uh, also stay tuned later this week for um, a recording of the live Zoom that we did a couple of weeks ago. Um, sorry it's taken so long to edit that. Um, I've been a little busy, but I think you'll enjoy it. We're going to post that on our website, which is uh, bigfatgaypod.com. Uh, you can also check us out on Instagram and Twitter at bigfatgaypod and uh, the Big Fat Gay Podcast on Facebook. Feel free to leave us a five-star review if you like the show, and if you don't like the show, uh, don't leave us a one-star review. <laughs> um, and if you're listening to this in your bedroom there's a cute guy sleeping on the bed behind you so you should probably go snuggle him (laughs) and tell him to look out 